0: The dead by bon rap with your hosts, Jamon Carter, David Ma, and
1: Nate Long. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar and argument ensued about who the goats are. The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod. Now, fans worldwide say. Not a bad job, the ad hoc cab squad Who chronicles the vanguard of hip-hop at large Rap tastes slacked off, no need to be mad dog Look no further, it's the dad bod Rap, pop, pop, pop. live from San Jose, California. It is the Dad Bod Rap Pod, I'm 130 your host Damon Carter aka Dim 1, and hip hop changed my life. Nate LeBlanc, how about you?
2: Yeah, kind of can't imagine it without it. Um I've said it on the pod many times. It's very odd for a music genre to have a birthday, but in terms of like um you know, uh tracking this history, like it's nice to know where uh, everyone kind of agrees it started at one point, and we'll get into it into a second a little bit more, but let's definitely bring in our man.
1: Yeah, the dude um, who lives and bleeds
3: hip-hop, <laughs> uh, Mr. David Ma. Hey, you guys. Good to see you in person once again. Absolutely. Hey. Man, yeah, we were just talking before this started. I mean, f- I mean, in some ways, kind of corny that this major like genre has an actual um, Big Bang Day, but also what a blessing and how fucking awesome. Um, Definitely here to celebrate it. It is um, the U.S.'s uh, most important and largest cultural export and has changed my life. And uh, that's why we're sitting here in this hot ass room together. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Only hip hop culture could
1: bring us together (laughs) on this sweltering day, which when we debut this, it will be uh, August 11th, 2023, which is the 50th birthday of hip hop culture. Um, It's
2: funny, no one calls it an anniversary. It's called the birthday. It's so funny because it started with the birthday party, right? Yes, well, sort of. Um, So, 50 years ago today, at um, the community room of uh, an apartment complex in the Bronx, the address is 1523 Sedgwick Avenue. Um, Cindy Campbell threw a party to raise money to buy back-to-school clothes. I love that this has all That's started with really that. It's totally. so great. And her brother, Clive Campbell, was the DJ, and he is better known as DJ cool Herc. And so at that party, he kind of it, – it's very – murky whether or not he actually debuted um his style of break mixing that eventually came to be hip-hop that night or not but that's when it kind of coalesced and people started to take off on it and that started the park jam era of hip-hop long before it was ever thought to be recorded and i just think it's important to acknowledge this history and in 50 years it has made such exponential crazy leaps and bounds of creativity and it's given so many people careers and um enrichment and fulfillment and it's taught the three of us and so many of you guys listening so much about life and it's been such a uh, just essential form of expression musically narratively with words with dance with art Um, it's as Dave said uh, the U.S.'s greatest uh, cultural export it's kind of like a jazz that people actually listen to right (laughs) Uh, Right, no no shouts to jazz I mean no no shots to jazz we all love jazz music and we wouldn't be here without that too but we're here to talk about the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, and I just think um, even though this has been a little bit co-opted and it's a little corny, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that this culture has brought so much to so many of our lives and that um, it's it's a powerful economic and cultural engine that continues going and will never die. This It no, started a thing right, in right. that room that will literally be a part of humankind for all of history. It's amazing.
1: Uh, uh, back in the day, I knew rap would never die. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think hip-hop culture is um, basically baked into everything now everything. There's, there's been kind of like, oh, is hip hop dying or whatever Hip hop can never die because it just latches onto to other things totally and other things latch onto it and um, still derive great cultural relevancy. I think maybe that's the biggest miracle, not miracle, but one of the best proponents of the culture is like the lyrical uh, miracle. Uh, is it spiritual? Um, is that it it's still really relevant. And if you kind of look at at the trajectory of other types of music, there is this arc where it goes from being like super relevant, all the teenagers want it, to being something that's passe and boring or like too avant garde to even uh, be understood anymore. Somehow rap has retained its coolness. um, It's still divisive, it's still dangerous, which I still, you know, I I appreciate about the culture. And obviously for us, yes, we talk about rap all the time, but. I just think hip hop culture generally, right? Like even b-boy culture, which I I have connections to uh, graffiti, the art of DJing, like this whole movement, uh, which gets overshadowed by rap sometimes, is still super important. And so um, I'm just thankful, man. I'm, I'm thankful for this shit. I have no idea what I'd be into. Were it not for uh, hip-hop?
2: Yeah, I know exactly what I would be into. I'm actually still into it now. But the hip-hop, <laughs> like, I would be an indie rock person. Like, I actually am oh. still an indie rock <laughs> gonna person. I was going to be like Guns. Yeah. Like, what does like, like, he mean? Nah, dog. Roses. Pro-wrestling? Pro <laughs> <laughs> like, like <laughs> what? I like lots of different kinds of music, but my life has been defined by this obsession with hip-hop. Yeah, for and sure. I, I think... Um, Just because – we've talked about this many times on the podcast. The podcast is kind of about this. Hip-hop is so great because it takes everything and throws it in its blender. Right. It's like you can learn so much by what people have sampled. You can learn so much by what people say on the mic. And I don't have as many connections to hip like graffiti or b-boying culture. And I think it's very – like a a debate for another time, perhaps, with a real graffiti practitioner from back in the day of whether or not it actually is.
1: If graph is. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Actually, like –
2: it, it, it certainly didn't start with hip hop. It was kind it pre- of brought it into hip hop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And many you of to. many of the early masters were hashers. So there, there's right, a ton right. to talk about there. I'm not really the best person to talk about it, but it, we can go to some Four Elements Church of Hip Hop shit. Like it, it's it's reliable. It's proven in its own way. Yeah. But yeah, man, I just think. Um, we're gonna talk. We're gonna play some interviews that we've done with yeah. some um, some pioneers. Right. Yes. Now. Man. Yeah.
3: So so unbelievable. I mean, uh, Roxanne Chanté was episode eighteen. That's crazy. crazy. Which I, I, mean. I
2: which I imagine means most of you have never heard it. Totally. <laughs> 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 Nobody yeah. was checking yeah. for us yeah. back then.
3: And uh, we were probably at the top of our game by eighteen. <laughs> so jeez. <laughs> but yeah, it, it just speaks so much that we that they were still around and yeah. that uh, yep. you know we we have access to them and um, yeah,
2: a living art where most of the pri- like cool Hercs alive.
3: Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Totally. Like, if
2: you want to know something that happened, uh, you know, they, he should be doing, like, autographs at conventions totally. and making thousands of dollars. Totally. Like, he should be uh, more feted than he is, and yeah, I don't know. And that's
1: I, that's a whole other, we could do, like, six episodes on are the pioneers, um, have they been correctly credited and compensated, and, which is part of our uh, conversation with Easy AD, kind of got into that territory on whether the Cold Crush brothers have been properly credited for their contributions to hip-hop. And so it's one of those things where instead of uh, merely complaining about the lack of coverage, like, we do it. That's and so, right. it's so, cover. Yeah, we we got Roxanne Chante way back in the day, episode 18. Please have some brace with us. The audio is not um, as pristine as we'd like it to be. And then uh, much later, we talked to Easy Ad. That was episode 213. Um, about his experience with the Cold Crush Brothers and just how somebody who was there for the Park Jam era is interpreting hip-hop these days. And he said some really interesting things. So uh, let's cut to uh, the real Roxanne first. Dead bod rap pod.
4: Video Music Box continues with one of the hottest lady rappers on the music scene. Here's Roxanne Shante and Roxanne's Revenge.
1: Wish to. Uh, let me tell you and explain them all to you I met this dude with the name of a hat I didn't Dad bod rap pod It's nothing but history here This is like the history channel of hip-hop right here We have an amazing, amazing interview for y'all today uh, With with an MC who whose personal story as well as their contributions to the culture are just so huge. Roxanne Shante, the real Roxanne, was gracious enough to talk to us in what was a just an amazing interview. It was kind of hard not to like, just fan out totally. and, um, and, and kind of just fall on the floor. But she has incredible stories um, when we talk about the resurgence of, of women in hip-hop she was doing it circa 84 right uh she's 14 years old Jeez. just just amazing uh, as many as you uh, as many of you know she has a biopic about her life which is on Netflix right now that you should definitely check out and so Yeah, how'd you feel about it, Nate? I was just spazzing.
2: She was awesome. Yeah, she she was really entertaining. She seems like a a tough lady, which kind of comes across in the movie. Um, She's clearly um, eloquent. She knows Mm kind of how to answer a question. She was just really cool, really gracious with her time. Um, it, it was really fun to talk to her. I think our guests or our listeners are really going to enjoy totally. this one.
3: One of, one of my favorite sort of classic uh, hip-hop footage clips is from uh, that documentary, Big Fun in the Big Town. And that's the one where the, it's that footage of Bismarck skinny Bismarck with that hat <laughs> that says Bismarck on it. And he's beat, beatboxing and she's rapping. And, uh, you know, just to get her, you know, talking to us is just incredible, especially with all the recent fervor about the, about the film.
2: Totally. We actually, uh, before we even knew the Netflix movie was coming out, we were trying to reach out to her right. when we were first starting the podcast to get her on, and now it makes sense why they were waiting. Right. It was kind of totally. Like, you know, it felt like we were being ignored, but it actually worked out way better. Yep. So it's awesome.
3: Well, we got our foot in the door right away, so that's good. You know? Yeah.
1: I'd like to point out first female guest.
3: Yes. On the Dead Bond Rap Pod,
1: definitely not the last. Yep. Definitely not the last, yeah. but. You know, we go big or go home here. Right, and- <laughs> T- Trailblazers, man. Absolutely. And what what I love from just the kind of MC perspective is her voice is her voice. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. the, the voice that, you know, when I was a, a young tyke and I was like, totally. who is this? Like, yeah. she talks on the phone. That's her voice. Totally. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's, so,
3: that's Roxanne laughing, you know? Yeah. It's, oh, that's man. her giggling. It's great.
1: Yeah. So she gets into... Um, Kind of the message behind the movie, what she wants to do next, as mm-hmm. well as, as some great stories about the uh, Queensbridge, right. Bronx, Beef, and Karis one. Yeah, Marley so, stories. Just her, she gave us so much in in a in a kind of 15, 20 minute package. So without further ado, we present to you our interview with the real Roxanne, Roxanne Chante, dead bod rat pod.
0: Hello.
4: Hello. Hey. Hello. This is Dave. Uh,
3: this is Dave from um, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, we're here. We're here uh, trying to get in touch with Roxanne. Is this you? Oh, How
4: are
0: you?
3: I'm well. You know, first off, we would just like to say thank you for your time. We are just huge fans. Um, and uh, you know, just to get you on here, it's uh, we're really honored. Um, I just want to introduce you to a couple guys who'll be uh, assisting me right now. Um, one is named Damone, and the other is Nate. And we're just going to be throwing some questions at you. We're just huge fans and really honored to have your time. Okay, great. No problem. Cool, cool. Well, you know, I, I want to just quickly start off because, you know, you've been in the news uh, recently for the uh, Netflix film. And how did? can you kind of let people know how that came about? Because we're, we're huge fans of the Juice Crew, hu- huge fans of your history. But how did Netflix and, and you guys connect? Well,
0: actually, what it was done was with the producers... We wanted to have the largest possible platform that we felt would be best Mm -hmm. for the movie itself, but also to get the message out to everyone. So because we felt that the movie isn't just a a movie that that we put out in order to, okay, we want to make money off this. No, we felt the importance of having this story told at this time. So for us, Netflix having 880 million homes, Wow. We felt that this was the best possible platform, especially for our urban community to be able to watch it, you know, at
3: their leisure. Right, right.
1: So with this, it's, there's really a lot of, of kind of a message of empowerment for women. And so in this moment in hip hop, kind of how do you feel about this current resurgence of women in hip hop? We've got kind of Cardi B is standing at the, at the top of the game right now. I, I just love to get your thoughts on, on how you feel about that.
0: I feel, I feel great. I feel um, honored. I think that it's, um, it definitely makes me feel honored and proud to be a female rapper in this day and age, to know that whatever it is that I have done in the past has contributed to the fact of the level of success that these young women have today. It is a beautiful thing. Beautiful.
2: Roxanne, did you uh, coach Shantae Adams yourself into, uh, in a, like, how to portray you, especially in terms of being an MC?
0: There were a few things that I needed to, that, you know, that she requested that I coach her on, or maybe there were a few things that I observed serving as executive producer and being on set every day. There may have been one or two little things, but in all reality, Chante Adams was born for the part, including Mm. being Mm. named Chante. So she stepped right into it without any problem. (laughs)
3: That's awesome. That's awesome. Roxanne, so, you know, we're obviously, uh, you know, uh, the movie's going to introduce you to a whole generation of new fans, but... um, we're huge fans of um, Juice Crew and Marley Marl in those days. Can you talk a little bit about when you were introduced to the crew and how that sort of uh, started?
0: Yes. Well, I met Marley Marl when I was about maybe 7 or 8 years old because we lived in the same housing project. So I knew Marley Marl my entire life, including N.C. Shan also. And wow. I think it's because growing up in the same neighborhood and living on the same block, we already had that connection. Mm-hmm. So to get together as artists was very easy for us because he already knew me. That's why he was able to call me out
1: the window and say come to his house. It wasn't a stranger calling me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So did you ever end up running into UTFO? Like, after that whole thing popped off? Was was that a thing? Did you ever kind of get to talk to them about that?
0: Well, um, I did. I, you know, to now, presently today, me and Kango have a great relationship. Me and Doc have a wonderful relationship. And, uh, you know, the Educator Rapper has passed on. Right. But also me and Mick Master Ice have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. And when I say great relationship, it's not the same relationship that I have with my, my juice crew brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a real brother-sister relationship. But when I say we have a great relationship, we work together, we see each other, we smile, we hug, you know, we kiss each other's kids. We, like, you know, come to each other's kids' birthday parties and things like that. Okay. So that's our relationship now. We're It wasn't always like that. When we first met up, I think it was better for the industry that they portrayed us as arch enemies, as so they did whatever we said to contribute to that, whether it was different show bookings, whether it was different locations, maybe even sometimes to the point of different accommodations. Maybe it might be sometimes and I'll have the better hotel, better hotel room, and then they won't have that. And sometimes they would have it and I wouldn't have it in order to keep that risk going.
2: Awesome. Um, Can we talk a little bit about Deaf Fresh Crew? Um, I love that song. It's such a minimal classic. Can you talk about how that came to be and how uh, you and the biz uh, came to work together?
0: Yes, Deaf Fresh Crew came about because Molly decided to quit on me right before a show. So it is how it was portrayed in the movie. Exactly. Wow. So me
2: being able to do the freestyle, that was just a freestyle.
0: I knew his name was Biz, you know, I knew what we came to do. I knew what we
3: had on, and so I just did the rhyme about that. Wow, that still stands to this day. That is so awesome. You know, we touched a, a little bit on this earlier. Um, you know, about just the the new forefront of female MCs, and you know, the, um, people are getting more shine, a little bit more intention, But how was it when you were one of the few lone female MCs in a you know in a world filled with men? Um. See, for me, it was it
0: was. It was okay as far as being a a female MC around all the fellas because I was always able to hold my own mm. I didn't come out you know with all this sexy clothing and revealing this and mm-hmm. revealing that see I didn't have any of that so I was always thought so, you know they always looked at me as the little sister mm. you know so there was never an, uh, there was never a time where it was like oh yeah I want her to be my girlfriend or I want her to see be but I want her to be so they were always very respectful to me mm. even when I was throwing tantrums and person, and seeing all types of things about them. You know, they still, you know, they still were like, okay, you know what,
1: that's just our little sister and she's acting up. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So can you talk a little bit about uh the the Queensbridge uh Bronx beef, you know, that, that was going on at that time. I, I know Nas talks about it in his kind of documentary and I was I was wondering, could you just give us kind of a flavor for How intense was that when that was really, when that was really popping?
0: Well, that was very, um, that, I happened to be overseas at the time when that was done. And you know, you're talking about going back into time when we didn't have cell phones and internet and Facebook. Mm. So, when I came home, I came home and it was already a beast. And I was like, what the (laughs) fuck happened while I was gone? (laughs) And like, Who's krs one, and, and why the <laughs> fuck is he mad at
1: me? <laughs> right, right. Did you, did you ever kind of talk up with him about that? Because he, right. he kind of cut you low on the record. I know it's been years and years, but you guys ever kind of get a chance to talk about that?
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, as as you know, it's been like has thirty some odd years. Of course, you're going to meet up with each other and talk about. It. I remember the first time, and I think he talked about it in an interview. Um, the first time we met up, we met up at a bank, and I was ready to fight. I didn't know what everybody <laughs> else was to do. But I was like, you know, I told somebody, like, listen, hold the baby, because I'm getting ready to fight. And I was like, What the fuck is wrong with you, brother? And he was like, he was very humble. And, and you could tell that he was, he was he was Paris 1, the teacher then. Mm. You know, because he was like, sister, I didn't know. I, you know, he was like lost for words. And I was like... Oh, you did all You didn't even want to fight. Like I would fucking get it. <laughs> but I remember being in the uh, limousine when when I first heard the bridges over, and the limousine driver just was. You know, I was tired. I had just came from overseas. My son was an infant. You know, I'm going through a lot, and and so you know sometimes the only sometimes sleep is the, was the only freedom that I knew. Mm. And You know, and I could only sleep whenever I got a moment to, Mm -hmm. because between having a baby, you up with the baby, and then being a hip-hopper, you up all night at the club. Mm -hmm. So if I could get two hours here or two hours there or sleep on a plane or whatever, you know, just trying to find any type of moment. And I remember the limo driver saying, hey, I want to play this. And I was like, let me hear it later. He's like, no, you should want to hear this now. And I was (laughs) like, no, I'm kind of tired. And I remember rolling up the partition because, like, back in the days, in the limousine, they had this big velvet-ass partition you could roll up. And I remember rolling up the partition. And then about 10 minutes later, I heard the partition going back down. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening?" <laughs> and he was like, yeah, and he was playing The Bridge is Over. Mm. And as soon as I heard the uh, Rocky and Chante is only different than his second part, and I knew that Karras won with Kane Trent Like he had just moved furniture with Kane. Mm. (laughs) So I called Kane on the phone and I was like, What's up with your fucking (laughs) friend? And he was like He was like, I know Sean. But also I understood that it's hip hop and if you wanted to be the best, you had to come to the best. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like oh, my God, I can't believe he's coming at us. If we're the best at this time, then everyone is going to come at us. And I knew I had already had eighty something records made about me, so I was already cool with people coming at me because I already understood that. Mm. But, you know, usually it was somewhere where it was was provoked, whether it was something in one of my shows or whatever it was. But I was surprised about that. And then later on, Karis and myself, we talked about it, we laughed about it. And then I remember him performing the song and Marty had actually produced the album for him. So right. I felt like, right. I felt like well, if Marty can forgive him if we let him produce the <laughs> album, then he fucking might be angry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I remember Karis was doing a show, and because I was there, he changed the lyrics. Mm. Wow. And he didn't, and didn't want to say it, being respectful. And then I remember cutting in the middle of his show And told him, like, you can't unwrite history. Like, that is our history. You can't unwrite hip-hop. You can't change our history. You better sing that shit the way you're supposed to. And then he started laughing. And then he started all over again. And the crowd went crazy because it's hip-hop. And you can't change that. And I wouldn't want him to change that, you know?
2: Mm, Sounds like a good scene for the sequel.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
2: Uh, Um, Roxanne,
0: do you still rap? I, you know, some people ask me, like, do I still am I capable of doing it? Absolutely. Do Um. I do it now? No. Do I host events and occasionally something comes out of my mouth? Absolutely. (laughs) But I'm really one of the uh, most sought-after hosts. So people have me to host it because in between, you know, I'm telling hip-hop stories, I got people laughing, I'm talking about the past, you know, I talk about kids and and all types of stuff. I talk about being gay, all types of stuff. So you know, it, it, we definitely, I definitely come across with a great old school hip hop feel. So yeah, I can still do it if I choose to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, wow, that's great. Uh,
3: that
2: said, what kind of music do you listen to? Mm-hmm. What kind of music do you listen to in your spare time?
0: I listen to old school R and Okay. I was believe okay. music from from 1959 to 1978.
3: It's <laughs> <That's> very specific. <laughs> um, you know, sort of just uh, piggybacking on that last question. So, are you in tune to any of the modern female MCs, or just MCs in general? I mean, are you listening to anybody recently? And um, if so, how do how do they strike you? Or do you even hear yourself in sort of these um, these so, younger cats? I mean, do, I, do I listen to it? Like, do
0: I listen to it? Um, will I select it? Probably not. Am I subjected to it? Absolutely. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's
3: great.
1: <laughs> so, so, so um, now, now that you got the Netflix money, now you're rolling in Netflix money. <laughs> what's what's the next thing for for Roxanne Shante?
0: Actually, I would. I'm, I'm thinking like maybe the end of the year because I'll be going back out. Um, and I'm going overseas, and you know we still do a lot of touring, we still do a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking maybe the end of the year I'm going to take some time out, and um, I would like to take a vacation and write a book. I mm-hmm. really, really think it's time can me to really write a book, like a like an open history. I can't believe that really happened type book. Wow, you know?
3: wow. Well, look, yo Roxanne, we're we're again we're just huge fans with of your incredible history and you know you're a trailblazer so thank we're really glad to have you on and uh you know we're going to pre-order the book already so <laughs> you know we just want to say thank <laughs> you again thank you again so much for your time and we're really happy to just uh you know just have you on board because we are the hugest fans so thank you so much
0: thank you thank you so much for having me have a good
3: night you All too right. you
0: too Bye bye. thank you okay. bye-bye Y'all coming to Dixie tonight? Who's there? Um, fantastic and cold crutch. Oh my god, well, I think you might have got that wrong. What? You know how fantastic be talking about cold Crutch? It's supposed oh, to be I, a serious throw oh, Here they come. See, I told here they y'all. go! now y'all believe it. Look at that dude. That dude look too mean. Well I'm a T. I'll dog my face. I wanna get you on a court, I beat Charlie Chase. Cold crush. Charlie Chase, as cute as could be. You sell your soul to the devil to play like me. Well, I'm the R. Ruby D. D. And you got a lot of nerve. When you play against me, you know you're gonna get served. Cold crush, JDL, the Lord's the lords and Ruby D, my man. Your shit is on the
4: boards. You
3: all can boy. ball. You're all can boy. ball. I'm the K Kevin
4: K and I'm not the
3: fake. You know I eat your ass up like a steak you take.
0: Cold crush. You know the all. Game is legit, and when we get on the court. I'm gonna stick your shit. The W. a Whip. And I'm here to say that I can rock your world like the Dr. Uh J. Crow Crush. Tony Tone known to be ill, but everybody know I could deal with the pill. I'm the D. Dada Rock. -rock. On this here court, I've
4: been nine years old playing this here sport. Crow Crush. A.D. Green, I got a better jump shot than Rick Barry. Well, I'm the M, That's like all the pretty girls.
3: I serve your monkey ass like Earl the Pearl. Cold no Crush. I'm
1: at the cast or GMC. I'm gonna stick it on the board. Dad by Rap Pod. Every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip hop culture. This week, that is especially true. We have Easy A.D. from the Cold Crush Brothers. How's it going, man?
4: In the world, um, world, the world, Ooh. The world in which which we existing in is going, is a little tough, but I, I would say I'm living a wonderful, exciting, exhilarating life.
1: There it is. There it is. Glad glad to hear it. Glad you could you could join us. Um, I want to start by asking, like, can you you're a hip hop pioneer, and MC? Can you talk to us about what it was like before hip hop? Like before hip hop was a thing. What were what were the cool cats doing? Like what what occupied people's time and space before hip-hop culture came on the scene?
4: What exploded? Absolutely. So um, for a lot of the young um, people who lived in the South Bronx, hip-hop was just a, a, I mean, excuse me, the music and the elements in which we we, we incumbent the culture of hip-hop, we, we, we had a lot of fun, right? We we went we went places, right? So if you were a popular hip-hop person at the time, before we called it hip-hop, you were able to travel from different sectors of the area and safely go there. So you could so we live we all lived in the South Bronx. So there was places in the South Bronx that if you didn't live there, you didn't go there. So by being, you know, musically inclined. Uh, from whether you're a DJ whether you're a B boy um whether you uh an MC um you were able to travel to these places safe because people looked at you like as a a, a uh, living in the ghetto superstar doing something that number one they were big they, they they didn't do um and it was something new and they really didn't understand it but they liked it a lot Okay.
3: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank, thanks for the um, sort of background on that. Um, we're going to jump around because, I mean, there's such a depth of um, history to, to, to um, uncover. But, you know, um, a standout moment for Cold Crush is uh, the wild style uh, scene with you guys versus the fantastic freaks, of course, and I'm sure you've gotten this question before, but we would be remiss since we have your time not to ask about it. Can you take us back to that day and just give us the background and your feelings and just everything that occurred during that famous uh, Cold Crush versus Fantastic Freaks uh, battle scene.
4: The battle scene was uh, was uh, written in because uh, the Fantastic, we call them five, you see a freak, the Fantastic Five, mm. and the Colt Crush mm. Brothers, like, kind of, um, we took over the streets because other groups... Were, had made records and they were traveling a lot so they left the, they left a the, uh, uh, space and we kind of we were kind of battling for that space at one point and so we had um we had battled i think we we had battled um or we hadn't battled yet actually the cold crescent fantastic didn't do our famous battle mm. from july 3rd 1981. All right. before we filmed the battle at the dixie club uh in the wild style movie so it was um we were kind of like taken back because we had to use music that was created that we weren't using at the time so we had to adapt our mc our, our, our MC style to uh, a beat that was created by um wild style producer i think um stein and charlie ahern they created that beat and so we had a rhyme with that but Fantastic Five and the Coopers Brothers. We we didn't like each other as far as MCs. Um, they felt they were better than us, um, and we felt that we were better than them. But we never compared ourselves to them. That's the difference. We never compared ourselves to any groups. But anyway, back when the movie was being filmed, um, Charlie wrote this. Uh, Charlie Ahern, who is the producer, uh, director of Wild Style, along with um, Fab Five Freddy, assistant, you know. Producer. They wrote this scene in because, you know, that the battle was like brewing with the co Crescent, the Fantastic Folk. So we, we filmed it at the Dix, Dixie. It, w- it was fun. Um, if you look, um, when you look at that scene, we were just doing our routine, our rhymes and stuff that we normally do. Um, and uh, it, was, it was fun. Um, we didn't really, the movie aspect didn't really sink into our head at the particular time that we were actually doing a movie. I know we were doing a movie, but we weren't like like consciously, oh, we're doing a movie.
2: Mm.
4: You know, and so it was fun. Um, I think the Fantastic Fly went first. They shot their scene first, and then we shot our scene a uh, second. And then they, you know, then they edited it like we were, you know, you know, about you know, movie, movie magic, they call it. Yeah. Um, exactly. But it was fun. Um but the interesting thing about just let's I want to give you a little background on both groups. Sure. So um, the Fantastic Five, um, for those of you who don't know, they consist of five MCs, Master Rob, Ruby D, Whip, Whip, Dotta Rock, and Kevy Kev. Um, their DJ is Grand Wizard Theodore. He's known uh, for inventing the scratch technique. All right, so um, Kev, Kev, Kevin Kev and myself uh, we grew up together playing basketball, so we knew each other since we were like ten years old. So we have we had a connection from just playing basketball. So a lot of times in the hip hop culture now they talk about basketball. We was doing that. We play basketball, and I'll give you a little bit more history on that. But so then a Whip and Die Rock used to be down with the Mighty Force and Cat Ka- and Kaz Group, and then they joined the Coalcrush Brothers which was myself, um, Ad, Mr. T, whip whip and Dada Rock for about maybe three to six months. And then they left, and they moved over to the Fantastic Five. So that's a little history on, on the groups, OK? And then our group, which is the co crush that you all know of now from the movie, there were, you know, we were before then, we had a, a guy named Mr. T, whip um, Whip whip Dada Rock, uh, and myself. So we was the co crush along with Charlie Chase, um, and uh, Tony Tone, and just a little history. A lot of times, I know you're you heard a lot of people talk about the Cold Crush. Um, the original DJ Tony Tone is the guy who created the Cold Crush. He came up with the name, and he put the group together. Mm. So just one. That's for that's for document sakes, yeah. DJ Tony Yeah. <laughs> so the Wild Star movie kind of um, was the battle scene was incredible, by the way, and it. Um, you know, it helped propel the culture of hip hop on an international scale once the movie came out and we got an opportunity to go on tour to Japan and Osaka and stuff like that. So not only us, but you know, the B-Boys and the B-Girls and the graph writers. So it was like the culture invaded Japan and Osaka. And um, it hasn't been the same there since we left.
2: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Thank you for that history um i'm i'm curious um it seems like your guys um performance style at that time was very routine based and so i'm wondering was there like group practice like did you like how like how did you come up with your routines how did you perfect your routines was it through performance was it through practice was it like (laughs) how did you nail it because it's you know you guys have that uh perfectly in time together thing and then taking the verses separately like just talk to us about it please
4: absolutely we did we did a lot of rehearsing i think one of the one of the most the the things that the cold Crush four did all the time is rehearse we wanted to perfect our craft um and we knew that only way you can get that way is you have to put in the work to get there so our ideas and things that we came up with we didn't want to be like any other group that was currently out there right so they would take a they would take like a um, a commercial jingle, and they would make a a, a routine off it or a, a rhyme off it. We felt that that was very miniscule and very like, ch- like childlike for us. So we wanted to take our our skills at a level to a different level. So we would we would take a um, a classic song like like Cats in the Cradle, right? And it, you know so. No matter where you hear that song or that metal, melody, you'll connect with that forever. It's a timeless song. So we we chose stuff like that, and we made a routine called um, "All the MCs Can't Deal with Us" because we are the fallen on the cold of putting the fellas on the jock. Well, anyway, so we we did it that way to make it timeless. The the writing skills was impeccable. Um, The lead writer, of course, is Grandmaster Kaz, but everyone played a part in assisting in that, uh, which was incredible. Uh, So we would take another timeless song, um, Barry Manilow, 50 Ways, you know, 50 Ways to Rock a Party. So we took took it to another level where people would hear our routines and they go, I've heard that before. But we put a, a crazy hip hop beat a dope hip hop beat rocking in the pocket, a love rap underneath it. Um, and, and we we took it to another stratosphere. And to this day, no one has duplicated that. So it doesn't matter what era we rhyme in or we perform in, they'd be like, yo, that's dope. Like, what? what, what is, I heard that before. You, you heard the melody, but you haven't heard it with this hard rhyme and this hard beat. And this like this harmony that once it's inside of your head, it doesn't come out so we did a lot of rehearsing with that um we um we did so many um we even we did a a routine of um breathe again uh with tony braxton and it goes like this if we ever catch you on the mic again If you ever say that, girl, your wits a (laughs) 10. If you keep on stealing lyrics from your friend, If you ever decide to pick up a pen, it'll be the end. Yes, it will. And we promised you, we promised you that. (laughs) You never uh, and I'll see you again. So we we did like that. We took it <laughs> to another level. We flowed, we rehearsed, we live to rock the stage. It doesn't, it didn't matter to us. We was we were we we challenged ourselves. We weren't in competition with the other groups, we were in competition with ourselves. So we never like so we want to be better than them, we're be better than them. Uh, we wasn't, we wanted to be perfect our, our skills. So that's, that's one of the things. Good question, by the way.
1: Awesome, man. That that was great. Uh, So given how hard you guys practiced and perfected your particular take on the craft at that time, did you have a sense of how far hip hop culture would go when you were kind of practicing to battle and, um you know run the streets at that time was there a sense that like this is this is gonna go further than this
4: we we, we honestly did not have an uh, an idea that it would go to where it went they where it is today but one of the things that i just want to share with y'all is that we put things in place one of the things if you look if you if you kind of like dissect the cold cross brothers um we have we have a very intricate and very intelligent group of, of people with us all right so one of the things that i did while i was with where I'm, I'm still with the cold crush brothers i we had a a, a photographer in school his name is his name was joey Kane at the time. and i was like joey i want you to come take pictures of of, of the group i'm with he was like i said i'm with the cold Crush brothers we do hip hop he said what's that i said don't worry just come so before anyone could get it Involved with us, we would have to introduce because Tony was the head of the group. You would have to introduce him to Tony, and Tony said, "Okay, you're, you're part of the group." So once you was part of the group, we was part of the family. So he came. He took pictures of us everywhere we went, all around, all the shows. Um, so that's part of the history that I make I want to make sure that we had because that's what was me. I just love history. I was I'm a history buff in school. I love history. Then. One of my third great friends, his name is Elvis Moreno. They know, they call him Tape Master. Tape Master was introduced to Tony. And Tony said, You're down with the crew. And Tony gave him the okay to plugs directly into the sound system. So our tapes was super clear. It wasn't no fuzz on it, it was no buzz on it. The reason why we I wanted to do that is because the other tapes that were circling around the Bronx at the time was. Um, the Furious Five tapes, um, the L Brothers tapes, right? And they, they tapes used to be like kind of staticky and not clear. But when you get a Cold Crush tape, it sounds like you were standing inside of the, the party. So that part of the history I want I want to save. And, and we have saved it. But to your question, we didn't know hip-hop was going to this level. Of course not. Um, we were doing the music of hip-hop having fun, um, expressing our, doing our craft, writing our rhymes, being popular, like in, in a community that we lived in and a community that we didn't live in. Uh, it gave us an opportunity to travel outside of the boroughs. This is before records, right? So we talking about before the records hit, right? Before um, that record came out in 1979 and changed the, the, the business side of hip hop and really kind of put hip hop MCs ahead of their time, because their rhyming style was already ahead of that. right? So when they came out with that record, it was like our style was ahead of that. So we, we, we always was considered ahead of our time later on as things went on. But we didn't know hip hop was going to go on a business side to this level. No one knew. We were doing what we loved. We were our own promoters. We promoted our own parties. We carried our own system inside the clubs um we did everything ourselves so we were entrepreneurs and we also was branding experts that we didn't know at the time
3: (laughs) oh thank you for the explanation and
4: all the insights um
3: you mentioned grandmaster kaz earlier and you know i want to sort of um bring that up a little bit um i we all know the history about big hank sort of um taking some of his lines and stuff but oh well Oh, yeah. So, so I wanted you to sort of, uh, you know, uh, unravel that for us because there's there's a lot of stuff and a lot of connections and all that, and you were there. So, can you sort of break that down for us of the history of so what happened?
4: Hank was Cass's manager at the time, mm. and he came in one day. He's like, "I'm gonna make a record," and they were like, "What? You're not you're not even the MC. How are you gonna make a record?" But he asked Cass for a run. Cass threw his rhyme books on the bed. And said, take whatever rhyme you want, but look out for me. So mm-hmm. when we heard Rapper's Light on the radio, I mean it, it was if we were doing like um if we were um what are you saying that uh rating it, it was it was it was not good. Mm-hmm. Like it was a, it was like it was a it was not good. But um Catholic rhyme was the best rhyme on Rapper's Light. So Hank took the rhyme, didn't wrap at the light. He didn't. He didn't. Hank didn't say, "Yo, I, I got an MC or I got MCs that I know that I can do this." He did it himself. Mm. and that changed the co- the the, the course of history and the course of wherever we went. And most of us who were in that community at the particular time, we thought nothing of it because it wasn't good. It was people who were out of our community. They weren't even known by anybody in the hip hop world that we exist in. So we didn't take them serious or we didn't take that record serious unbeknownst to the world that it would be where it is today and considered what it is today.
2: All right. I thought it was interesting earlier you I I couldn't tell if you were like trying to avoid saying the die that you were like that record and we all knew what record you were talking about because <laughs> it kicks off the recorded era right but um I appreciate you filling us in on the true backstory um a, a, kind of weird question curious how like what you'll make of this but like it seems like the early hip-hop existed at parties jams part jams as they're as they're now known in the clubs were you guys partiers or was it like you were going to work like you were when you were going to perform were you in the milieu of the party in the club scene
4: i would say i would say i i was at work i can't say that for everyone else (laughs) i'm a perfectionist by 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 nature um i like order um i like to rehearse a lot i think that um i don't i know that The more work you put in it, the better it's gonna become. So when I used to come into the show, I mean, I used to go straight to to the locker room or dressing room, and I used to just relax to get myself mentally prepared for what we're about to do. And so that was my, I had, you know, everyone, the the most exciting thing about being part of the Cocus, bro, is everyone is an individual. They have their own way of getting yourself ready for the crowd, right, Or, or the performance. Some members will go get a drink. Some members will go smoke marijuana. Some members will go and just talk to people. I went into the dressing room and I relax. I breathe. I, I never drank. I never smoke. I never got high in my life. So mm. my high was jumping on that stage. So when I jumped on that stage, it was it was like the level of energy was like exude out of me and I can just tell you like every time we performed, I could not, I couldn't go to sleep for two days. Mm. Sometimes I could not go to sleep because of the adrenaline, right? The natural adrenaline that comes out of performing for people and making the audience feel good. One of the things about us, as far as a group is concerned, we never felt that we were better than the people we were performing for, Mm. right? We connected to the people on every level. So we felt we were part of you, not we were part of that audience, but we wanted to make sure that you had a show, whether it was one person, whether it was five people, whether it was 10 people. When you came to see the cold crust perform, you left that place talking about, yo, that was a dope show. And that's what we wanted. We wanted our, our, we wanted you to feel us on every level that you can feel a performance.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh- I'm wondering, as I was preparing for this interview, wondering how you felt about um, how hip-hop has been to you and to your group. Famously, Jay-Z once said, he overcharges because of what was done to the Cold Crush. And I'm like, did you cut the Cold Crush a check though? uh, how do you feel like hip hop has treated you? Do you feel like in some ways you got shortchanged because of, of a group like a Sugar Hill that got all the attention and status? Do you? How? What are your feelings about that?
4: Well, we had my feeling. Well, I don't. I'm going with. I'm going with. What I think. I don't. I'm not going with my feeling. My feelings will give you a different answers. So I'm gonna go with what I think. <laughs> so this is this is this is facts, right? We had an opportunity to sign with Sugar Sugar, uh, Sugar Hill Records we chose not to, because we didn't want to be a part of one more peg in someone else's will. So we decided not to sign with that. Um, we were looking to be um, like the number one person on a particular album or a, a company, whatever, so they could push us. But, you know, we, you know, we made some, we made some uh, uh, interesting choices. Um, so to your question is uh, when Jay-Z said that, um, that line, you have to look. You have to listen. You have to look in depth to really what he's really saying. So, because remember who he is, right? He's a very smart dude. Meaning that he says something, but you have to you have to look into it. It's not going to be on the surface. So his mentor, on, um, and partner in hip hop was Jazz So Jazz is a crazy crazy cold crust fan he had all our tapes all our routines so he you know so Jay Jay obviously was connected with him so he had to hear all that stuff right i remember it goes back to what i said earlier our tapes were clear you it's like you were there so you got you got that vibration of what we did on the stage so you look at all the people who have taken a piece of the cold Crush brothers and I can give you a story that um, DMC and um, says all the time. He said, Russell Simmons gave him, he said, you need to study this group right here. You have to become better than them. You gotta become better than them in order to, be, to, to, to take this whatever industry by storm. They listen to our routines, they listen to our style, and he took what best fit for them or a piece of us, and he ran with it. You look at groups like leaders of the New School. He took a piece of cold Crust and ran with it. You look at a lot, a lot of different artists has taken a piece of the Colescott brothers and incorporated it into them, which is which is honorable, but it's not economical. For us. So we never received the economic, uh, I guess, economics from all those particular things. But as far as history is concerned, and if you do a tree, a family tree, you will see the lineature connected to the Colchrist Brothers on many different levels. And even Will Smith, who of course received a Colchrist Brothers tape when he was in Philadelphia, listened to our tapes often, all the time. And he fell in love with Grandmaster Caz and his rap style. And he wrote in his most recent book that because of his rap style and a particular rhyme that Caz used to say help him develop his fir- do his first record. So it's amazing, but no one to this day has come to us collectively and say, listen, well, I- I'm gonna take that back. Because we had opportunities, but we have cho- we chose. So let's, go, let's go. I'll go. I'll share some opportunities. Number one, um, in 1996, uh, we met with Russell and Leo Cohen. I think it was 96. And they was like, listen, we want to sign you to Def Jam. This may have been the second time they wanted to sign us to Def Jam. We want to put the machine behind you. We want to, because the only thing that you ever was lacking as a group was that machine behind you. You'll have everything else. We get producers, we do this, we get it, we get you on the studio and stuff like that. Um, at the time, one of the members of the Covers Brothers was visiting um, prison. And so uh, some of the members went to talk to him and let him know the, what was being offered to us. Um, that didn't fall. That didn't come through, but it was offered to us. We got a contract from Warner Brothers. We didn't take that contract. We had a lot of opportunities. Um, Russell wanted to sign us at another time, and he wanted to, us to change our name to the Cold Crush Crew with KKK. We said, "Absolutely not! Not going to happen." Um, we just we didn't we didn't take those opportunities opportunities, and we always always had a voting process where we voted on things. So, with six members, we voted on things. And I can say, so that's the reason why we never signed with any major label, even though we signed with um, South City, Aaron Fuchs. And remember, we didn't know the business of music. So in that contract, um, if we knew the business, we would have got a lot more out of it. Even though we still, we receive royalty checks to this day, but they're not um, at the level in which they would have been if we would have known the business of music. So it was a learning curve. I honestly felt that it's really important for us to go through that because we wouldn't be where we are today. Um, but just to close that question is nobody from the era who are millionaires and billionaires have ever come to the Cogers brothers and say, listen, like the rock groups come back to the, you know, they, they cultivate their pioneers, right? The younger rock group, and connect with them. So they think they, they haven't connected with us in that respect. I would say it would be great for us to sit down with, because um, we have incredible ideas like a Jay Z and or a, a Pharrell or a Will I Am, right? Because they're like eclectic, you know, and a Kanye, because they're a collective, uh, collective group of thinkers and we can make it happen um you know it, you know it doesn't matter the age it's matters skills and the will and the love because we have those things we just need the platform so when he said that line everybody was asking the question did he pay y'all and to me it, it felt kind of like that was like a not a good question to ask but I, I took it like so when they mentioned other people in records did they pay them no but i understand the reason why he was asking that question because you know you're from the beginning we are from the you know the beginning of the you know hip-hop so we should get paid we should get an opportunity to show what we can do on on a um record record basis because we never ever took records serious we didn't master how to make records that wasn't our forte we never was in a, in a place with the right producers but we mastered performing live so one time we went out, we run, we went out when Run had Sucker MCs out, and we played in Chicopee, Massachusetts. We got on first, and we did our thing. We got off, and we went to we went back to the uh, to the dressing room. The whole entire audience followed us. running them went and they performed, but they came in and it was like, yo, we we just trying to get like y'all, man. Right? You know, it was an honor. Like you know, they they level in which they excelled was incredible. They had the machine, they had the right producers, and they had a blueprint that they could follow, which I would consider a lot of the Colchrist brothers, not only the Colchrist brothers, but a lot of us, a lot of us in them. But anyway, so hopefully that can give you a little insight on that particular question.
2: Do you listen to hip-hop or like what, how do you spend your time? Like, what do you listen to?
4: I listen to... First of all, let's, let's, let's go back to the beginning. We listen to everything. That's why so, we so we, we have routines from every genre of music. I still listen to everything. I think music is a vibration. Um, I'm into frequency. So music is frequency. So there's diff- different types of frequencies in hip hop that I, I can't, I don't absorb. It doesn't feel good when I'm hearing it. Mm-hmm. And then there's certain frequencies that I do. So it depends on the frequency of the particular song that's being played. I love music. I think music is an incredible tool to 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 um, to teach, an incredible tool to um, for your to help people mem- memorize things, um, to make people feel good, so and stuff like that. So I'm into I'm into all music. I mean, I listen to I mean, you know, everything. I mean, anything you can name, listen to. So you know, from from growing up. Um, my mom listened turning on the radio on WCBS WC, FM radio, AM radio, where they played all music from every every place. And like you know, they would consider pop you know, music. So we grew up on everything from from Bob James, Jackson Five, Marvin Gaye, Isaac Hayes, Curtis Mayfield, The Whispers, Ohio Players. Um, you know, some of my some of them I like. You know, I read. I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Of course, of course. Um, we love Billy Joe. We have a couple of a routine mm-hmm. on Billy Joe. I mean, honestly, music is like it's music. Music has no color. It has vibration.
1: Wow. Well, it started like from 183rd Street in Creston. Then, like, you know, it was, was, like, there for two years, three years, right? So, like, then they stopped breaking, right? So the prayers of everybody, right? His his name is Jimmy D. He told me to make a division in Manhattan. So then I made one over here, like, most of the people stopped from the Bronx already, but some of them are trying to come back now, you know, because they hear that people are making money doing it.